What's up, fam? You're about to hear a message from Hope Valley Church in Denver, Colorado. We are a new, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible church and campus ministry in Denver, Colorado. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for like a day or a whole lifetime, we trust that this message will help you take your next steps to follow him. If you're in the Denver metro area, we would love for you to come and worship with us. You can check us out at our website at hvdenver.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to follow, like, subscribe, however you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Oh, Uh, today what we're doing is we're jumping back into the book of Luke. Let's go, Luke. Oh, so little enthusiasm. So today, what we're going to do, today's title is uh, the Discipleship and the Key of We. Discipleship and the Key of We. And we're going to tackle like most of chapter 9. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to pick up the pace in in the book of Luke. Can I get an amen? Amen. We're going to pick up the pace a little bit, but that means that we're going to chunk larger groups together, and I'm not going to get to tell you everything, so the podcast becomes more important. Like today, I'm not going to talk about how Jesus said, let the dead bury their, be- the- to bury their dead, which is like a massively offensive thing for Jesus to say, and I'm going to explain the context of that on our podcast. Uh, it doesn't make it any less offensive. It just makes it different than we think that it is, and so it's, I think it's helpful in that way. So, so stay tuned for the podcast. We'll talk about the things we're not talking about here. Uh, but we are jumping in. We're going to cover 20 verses. Wayne, if you could come up and, and read for us. We stand in reverence to Scripture and to the Word of God and to what he wants to do. This is actually the most important. Wayne, you can come on this side this time. Um, this is actually the most important part of the entire sermon. The rest, I'm just going to be describing what's happening left to right. Oh, chapter 9, verse 37, all the way through to 62. So buckle up. You're going to be standing. I timed it this morning. You're going to be standing for about two minutes, but you're, you live in Denver. You can handle this. If you have a physical handicap or anything like that and you need to sit down, please do. But everybody else, just prove your mettle. <laughs> On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cry out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him, and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy. And gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they didn't understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. 
John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Father, we delight in your word. It is a lamp to our feet. It is water to our soul and food to our spirit. We pray that you would feed us today. Fill us to the fullness that only can come from you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Wayne. Go ahead and be seated. When an orchestra tunes, the instruments don't tune to one another. That would be absolutely chaotic. When an orchestra tunes, what they do is they have a single instrument play a single note, and it's the same note in every single orchestra that's a specific frequency. And it's the same tuning frequency for every orchestra that ever plays live in any concert venue in the world that's playing the classical music in the, in the, in the musical structures that we are familiar with in the United States. And um, what happens is they, everybody tunes to that central sound. That sound plays first, and then everybody is able to hear that sound through all of the other sounds because they were able to sample it before there was any other sound. Does that make sense? So they hear the sound, then a whole bunch of other sound happens, but they can still hear that first sound because of the way God has tuned our ears to be able to pay attention to things. Actually, that makes me actually really want to preach a different kind of message. <laughs> because because like what I'm realizing right now, even as I preach, is that in the beginning God spoke. And he made a sound. And he created. And so the very first sound that came forth was the sound of God's voice. So that through the rest of all of creation, we'd be able to hear the sound of his voice echoing through every other thing that happens. In the midst of all the other sound. In the midst of all the other pain. In the midst of all the other noise and distraction that happens. The sound of God was the first sound. And it continues through all the sounds so that we can hear it even in the midst of the chaos. That's not what I'm preaching on today. But who? But what I want to do is I want to play this sound for you. It's the sound of an orchestra tuning. If you could play that from the, from the computer. This is the sound of an orchestra. That's your sound. The first one, it was an oboe in this case. Sometimes it's a piano. And some are sharp and some are flat. And they're tuning their instrument. And when they get their instrument right in line with that main sound, they start playing a little bit. You heard the food. 
We're going to listen to the whole thing just because I love what happens with the trumpet at the end. It reminds me of Peter. We'll see. Isn't that awesome? Have you ever been to a live concert? This might be the best part of every live concert. They play it up. It's better than the Dolby Five Points Around or whatever they used to. Right? Now, if you don't know them sharp and flat, you don't know what's going on. Well, listen to this trumpet. Everybody's done. Everybody's tuned. It, it, it won't be hard. Everybody's like, yeah, I'm tuned. <laughs> it's like the trumpet just wanted to be heard. He's like, Mah. it reminds me of Peter. <laughs> God. Should we call down fire on their heads? <laughs> Let us destroy them, God. <laughs> what I see happening in this, in this 20 verses is the Spirit of God training these people to no longer think only in the key of me, but to think in the key of he and the key of we. Because in every single case that there's conflict in this passage is because people are putting their, pri their own priority first, their own personality first, their own desire and their own, their own wants first. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I need you to look at me. I mean, if you look at the way this develops, they come down from the mountain. And on this mountain is the mountain where Jesus literally glowed in the presence of God and Elijah. And, and so here he is, and there's this remarkable moment. And, and they come down from the mountain, and, and then he heals this guy that nobody else was able to heal. And then the disciples immediately following are like, I think I'm the greatest. I think I'm the greatest. And Peter's like, nah, I'm pretty sure I'm the greatest, John. And he's like, well, I am the one that Jesus loves. And Peter's like, he loves all of us. Get over yourself. And then, you know, so the disciples are kind of turning this over and over. And they're wrestling with who's the greatest among them. And, and Jesus is saying over and over and over, no, 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 no. Pay attention that I'm actually the great one. I was the one on the mountain who he said, listen to. I'm telling you again to listen to me. I'm going to model what it means to be great by telling you after I did something none of you all could do that, that, that the end of the path for me is that I'm going to die. I'm going to humble myself all the way to the point of death. And they didn't, they didn't understand what was happening. And in their confusion, what they did is they started arguing who among them is going to be the great one. Because if he's going to die, we're going to need a new leader. They didn't understand that he was going to lead them even from beyond the crucifixion, even after his death, because he was going to rise from the dead. And they didn't understand it. Now, before I go any further, I want to pause to give acknowledgement to the disciples. I love them so much. And it's easy just to like poo-poo their walk with Jesus and be like, man, they just, they really mess up a lot. Uh, the reality is we mess up a lot too. And, and I think that we need to give them credit for wanting to be in the game. They just, they saw Jesus doing remarkable things and they're like, I want to get in the game. I want to be a part of what's happening. You're doing something extraordinary. And what they said yes to is something far greater than any of us had said yes to. Because most of them said yes to Jesus thinking that he was going to go to war with Rome. Yeah. Right? Nobody came to Hope Valley thinking that Hope Valley was waging war against the United States government. And if you did, I'm sorry. That's not what we're here for. I don't know who told you that. It was a lie. <laughs> Somebody done lied to you to get you to come to church. I don't even know why that would have appealed to you to bring you. But, but the reality, they said yes to Jesus thinking that he was going to wage war against the Roman Empire. 
Of course, that's not what he had in mind. And we all figured that out later. They learned that as they walked with him, as they began to get into the tune of he and into the tune of we, they figured out what he was really about. And it turns out he wasn't about overthrowing Rome the way that he expected to overthrow Rome. What he was going to do is he was going to overthrow every human institution and everything that, that hinders the, 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 in the image of God being reproduced and understood in, in the world. He was taking it all on, not just Rome. And he was taking it on in a way that surprised everybody. So Jesus is going, he, and he comes down from the mountain, heals this kid, tells him what's going to happen. Then they start arguing who's the greatest. And he's like, you know who's the great? Kids are great. And I'm sure they're like, they can't even catch fish, Jesus. Like, what do they bring to the table, right? Like, like, you, like they can't even, they don't even have money. Like, they, they're not helpful. Why are they the ones that are great? And it's because of their trust and their faith in Jesus and their willingness and readiness to follow him. I think we need to celebrate the fact that they decided to follow Jesus even at great expense to themselves. And everything that we see uh, working itself out from here is not separate from the plan of God, but it is exactly the plan of God. And a world that tells us to follow all kinds of things, follow your heart, follow your passions, follow, follow the yellow brick road. Toucan Sam, follow your nose, right? When, in, like, Right, like just follow, follow something. Actually, Toucan Sam wasn't even the first one to say it. That was like, uh, that was a money thing back in like the 1600s. He's like, follow your nose because your nose is in front of you. So just kind of go in whatever direction you're going, I guess is what the advice was. Pretty poor advice. Uh, <laughs> but the call of Jesus is to follow him. The call of Jesus is follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The call of Jesus is come and tune your life to me. And in the process of tuning your life and your priorities, your life's mission, tuning your heart to the spirit of God, then we come in tune with one another. Pastor Andrew and I were talking on the podcast earlier this week uh, for his, for his message. And, and um, it strikes me how much effort we spend trying to adjust and conform to one another and trying to shape ourselves to one another. When really the invitation of Jesus is for us to be formed to him so we fit together with one another. Does that make sense? And so that's what we see Jesus doing right here. He's allowing their, their selfishness to rise up to the surface so that he can teach them something different. He allows them to desire. I mean, th these guys are healing people in Jesus' name. And their response was, they're not with us. Even though they're doing the things that you do, can we wipe them out? And Jesus is like... No, no, if they're not against you, they're for us. This is the sound of we. It's the sound of we doing the work of God in the earth together, bringing about the kingdom of heaven through signs and wonders and through unity and love and forbearance and forgiveness and, and through to tuning, your, tuning your lives to the spirit of God so that you can accomplish what it is that he's made us to do together. The same way the instruments kind of chased all over the place. I feel like our lives are kind of like me, he, we, me, he, we, me, 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 me. And Jesus is saying, no, look to he and become a we. And you'll understand the me. 
We try and figure out the me without knowing the he or the we, and we get the me wrong. We don't even adequately understand what the me is without the he and the we. So Jesus has this thing where he's like doing these remarkable things first and loudest so that they can tune their lives to him, but they keep pulling back to themselves out of insecurity. Anybody ever done something better than you did it and you just wanted to wipe them out? What a strange response. <laughs> like, what, what is it about us that when we want something done and then somebody does it, we want to take them out? Not like take them out on a date. I mean, like take them out. I mean, you might want to take them out. I respect that. <laughs> but you might want to just take them out. Take them down. Because we're not thinking in, this, in the key of we. We're thinking in the key of me. And so different than offering kind of three simple points today, what I want to do is I want to just share two biggest ideas. And then we're going to receive communion together because I think communion is the single greatest tuning device that Jesus has given us because it reminds us again just like he reminded the disciples who he is what he did and what his priority is for us and communion is an opportunity and a moment for us to tune our hearts to tune our minds to tune our lives to Jesus to set the course for the rest of our day our week our month our year amen so while the disciples are clamoring to decide who's the best, and, and uh, I wrote down earlier this week that they're looking for self-actualization. Everybody just wants to know that their lives matter. Right? Everybody just wants to know that I'm significant, that, I, that there's something for me to do, that I'm special. We all want that. And we spend a lot of our lives looking to be told that and looking to realize that. And in this case, it fans up into a fight. It fans up into an argument. And Jesus is trying to help them understand who he is and what he is doing and help them to see one another because that's the only way that they'll be able to see themselves. But Jesus is brutal about this. He's not like, guys, you know, like he doesn't like sit them down in a circle and like, guys, let's talk about your feelings real quick. Like, what are you thinking? What's your motivation here? Why, how are you feeling about this? How did, how, did you, how did that make you feel when the other guys were doing these miracles? You know, like, did it make you insecure? <laughs> did you just, were their miracles better than your miracles? Because you, you were doing miracles too. But, you know, like, well, how, how are you doing, guys? You know, he, wasn't, he didn't, like, slow down and get on that level. And there's a, I'm not, I'm not mocking counseling or anything like that. But because I think that's important. My counselor has, like, saved my life. Right? And probably Megan's too. <laughs> And my kids, and probably yours. So, so <laughs> counseling is awesome. But Jesus, but there's a time for counseling, and there's a time for just correction. And what Jesus does is he brings correction, and he's like, y'all are wrong right now. You're in the wrong. You're trying to work, like, these people are doing, they're joining me in this work, and you're trying to come against them? You're wrong. Change your mind. And change your response, change your belief, and by rebuking them, by highlighting their wrongness, Jesus allowed them the opportunity to walk with him more and to walk with each other better. But it took rebuke to do it. It takes discomfort to walk with one another and to grow with one another. It takes discomfort to get to know one another. It takes rebuke and correction from God to figure out how to walk with one another. So I clown, about, I clown about things, but there are times that my clowning is, has stepped out of line and has moved to the point of offensive. That was a messy process of learning. 
right? Like my kids tell me, my kids tell me, you know, like dad, when you bring up race things, I get really nervous. And I know you do too. So, but it's like, dad, I, you do like walk on this really, like it's a line and I like, you're saying the wrong things, but it's the right thing. And it's the right thing, but it's the wrong way. And it makes me really nervous. And it's like, well, I've made a lot of mistakes and I offended a lot of people. And I was corrected by God sometimes and corrected by friends and by leaders and others in the process as well. And it's, it's instructed not just my words, but more importantly, it's instructed my heart because I messed up. So if I've been any benefit to you in walking together in unity, it's because I've messed up and people have rebuked me and God himself has rebuked me to get to the issues of my heart so that I could learn to walk not in the key of me, but in the key of we. And Jesus rebukes them because a rebuke is all about the heart. He's like, your heart is wrong, that you're not happy that people are getting saved. Your heart is wrong, that you're not excited that my work is being accomplished in the earth. That's a heart problem, guys. And I love that it says they continued together. That they continued together and they went together. But this rhythm of rebuke allows them to walk with Jesus and one another. I want to ask this question. When was the last time you felt the Spirit of God lovingly put his hands on your heart to bring correction? Just, you know what? You're bitter towards that person. You're unforgiving towards that person. You're being selfish, maybe with your resources. When was the last time God's done that? If it hasn't happened, invite the Spirit of God to get close. He's not going to hurt you, but he's going to correct you. And his correction is an invitation to walk more closely with him so that you can have the fullness of life. We have a phrase that we use on the team, sometimes on on staff, and we say, uh, correction is not rejection, it's direction. And so when God corrects us or when we bring correction to one another, we're not rejecting one another. We're inviting one another to move together. It's an invitation to move in the same direction together in the key of we instead of the key of me. And then I think the other, the other moment that I want to comment on is, is with the Samaritans. And so Jesus' eyes are set towards Jerusalem. He's heading toward Jerusalem because in Jerusalem, he knows that he's going to die on the cross and he's going to take on the fullness of sin, the fullness of shame, the fullness of guilt, and he's going to kill death. That's his plan. He's like, you've seen Taken maybe, or you've heard of Taken, the movie, Liam Neeson. Maybe it's too old. Is that too old? Am I getting, I'm, I know I'm getting old. I'm aware of what's happening. So college students, do you know about the movie Taken? It's brutal. I'm not recommending that you watch it. I'm just saying it's an idea that exists, that a guy whose bride or whose daughter is taken, he goes after and just like destroys everybody to get her back, right? So that's, that's but that's like Jesus's mission is taken, right? Like, so he's like, my, my, my bride has been taken captive. And so I'm going to come down from heaven. And I'm so methodical about this. I'm going to grow up from a baby, right? That's scary, that's like some scary Jesus stuff. He's like, I could just come down fully grown and whoop you. I mean, I could just send angels down from where I am. Instead, I'm going to be methodical about this. You know, like people talk about how Jesus fashioned the whip when he flipped the tables and the money changers and stuff like that. And like, man, he was so methodical. You want to talk methodical? He came as a baby. 
He came as a fetus and, and was like born and then lived as a child and was taught carpentry and went to synagogue on Saturday mornings and went to vacation Bible synagogue. And, and he, he grew up as a person all the while heading to the cross to deal with the person who took his bride. Ooh, that's some scary Jesus stuff. That's <laughs> methodical. My God. Yeah, I'm having my own, like, church up here today. Like, <laughs> like, guys, I'm so excited about what God is doing and who he is. So Jesus is kind of, he's pointed his head, his, his direction towards Jerusalem. And he's going to Jerusalem because he knows what he's going to deal with. And, and the disciples are coming with him, and they're moving the key of we. And then they come up to Samaria. Now, Samaria is a problem for the Jewish people because they are, they are I, I, Black History Month, right? So it's, it's, it's interracial people. And so these interracial people were, had Jewish heritage, but they weren't fully Jewish, so they weren't allowed to be a part of the Jewish culture. And so they were pushed out, and so they were oppressed by the Jewish people, and they were kept out. And so as you can imagine, when you're kept out of a space, it's not hard to imagine that when people from the oppressing group of people try and come into your space, you're like, nah, I'm good. Just keep walking. Keep going. There's nothing for you here. Move along. So this is what's happening. So the disciples go in to prepare a space for Jesus because that's what the, the, his people did. And so they, they go ahead and they're preparing the space for their rabbi. And they're like, oh, wait, he's going to Jerusalem? Nah. Nah, there's, not, there's nothing for him here. We've got nothing for him if he's going to Jerusalem. Now, if he were to disregard Jerusalem, maybe we could have some fellowship. Maybe if he changes his mind, maybe if he condemns Jerusalem, Maybe if he condemns those people, we could have some fellowship because they're living in the key of me. But what Jesus is trying to do is move everybody to the key of we. And so they reject the ministry of Jesus in this moment because of the people who are affiliating who Jesus is about to affiliate with. Now, this is going to be really pastoral. I knew this was going to be a difficult thing to talk about, so I prayed about it. So please... Listen well. The Samaritans in this moment missed out on the grace of God appearing to them because of those people who Jesus was affiliated with. How often do we miss out on the grace of God in our lives or in a moment because of somebody else who's affiliated with your Jesus. It violates deeply the key of me to think that Jesus could have deep fellowship with somebody who thinks differently than me, who believes differently than me, or even in some ways or in many ways or is a stain or a blemish to me or to what I'm doing. Are you seeing it? Do I need to be more explicit? Let's do it. Come on, Denzel. You know, it'll be you and me next week. I try and do things in both directions. And so I'll do my best to do it here. Because I want us to see that there's not a righteous side of the United States political spectrum. And there is not a righteous color of person. Or a righteous single policy that contains everything that is held by the heart of God. 
Yeah, the music will help. Make it like not a minor key. <laughs> Make it a happy, a happy key. I'm saying hard things, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> guys some of us have said no you've said kind of maybe possibly yes to Hope Valley and you're hoping that eventually I'm going to condemn those people because I love black people and Spanish speaking people and I love the migrant that you're waiting for the condemnation of, of those people or, or maybe you're afraid you're waiting for the, 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 the bones to fall out of the, 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 the bones to fall out of the closet, like the skeleton to fall out. And, and you're waiting for that thing to happen where it'll just justify that, yeah, that you're those people too. And so because, those, because you're afraid, you're so afraid of those people, you're missing out possibly on the grace of God appearing to you in a remarkable, vibrant, transformative and fresh way. And, and if the church is consumed with, if the church, big C church, becomes consumed with condemning those people, we'll never be the people that God has called us to be we people in the kingdom of heaven who accomplish his purpose in the earth. It's kind of heavy, right? But my, my, my concern is, is, not just, is not just for you. Because if you're here, like you could be in one of those camps and you're just kind of like, ah, I don't know. I'm waiting to feel this out. But here's what I know to be true. If not you, there's a city of people out there. By some estimations, 95% of people who live in our city have said no. And quite honestly, you know what? I don't blame them. Because we haven't been we people. We haven't, we, haven't, we haven't been we people. Now, I can't control what another church does. I can't control what a, what a denomination does. I can't control what our sister churches do. I wrote a blog this week about the best churches in Denver. And, and the, the goal is for anybody that doesn't want to go to Hope Valley, I've got a list for you <laughs> of pastors that I've met and churches that I know about that are good enough. Like, Hope Valley's good enough, too. I'm not like, we're the best, and they're good enough. No, we're all just, like, trying. We're just, we're just, we're just freaking trying. But, but, but family, I, I, while we can't control everything that happens out, out there, we do have a stewardship in here to be we people, to let Jesus be the hero, and to give up the story that we're the hero. This is what the disciples are wrestling with. They're like, man, look what Jesus is doing, but I'm awesome too. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's saying, hey, how about you become a he person? Be formed and shaped, tuned to him and become a we person. And when you become a we person, I guarantee you're gonna figure out what the me person is. But that's our, that's our stewardship. I, I hope that, I, I hope this resonates in your heart in two ways. I hope that we all feel a little bit of, of correction where we've been thinking about it through my lens instead of the lens of the person that God has called me to influence for the kingdom. 
right? Like I've been a me person, but my, my neighbor's lives are falling apart, but I've been a me person. And I've, I've been thinking about, do I even like the chairs arranged this way? Or do I not like the chairs away? Like we only take communion once a month. You know, we do two songs and then one song. We really should do three songs at the beginning. Like we've been me people instead of, instead of he people. And then we've missed the neighbor that God's called us to reach. So I hope there's some correction, but I also hope that what you hear is an invitation. An invitation to join in an amazing, uh, in an amazing inheritance of the people of God who have been doing this for thousands of years, who in the United States started fixing some problems that existed because the me got in the place of the we. And so we join in, in a newer tradition as well of not just worshiping with people who look like us or like the same music as us or, or go do the same kind of activities as us. You know, we've got 49ers fans. I don't even, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I actually don't even care. That's what's funny about it. That's funny. The invitation, it's the invitation is to be a we people. And communion is one of the ultimate expressions of being we people. It takes into consideration what Christ did for us through the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood, and that's what we remember through this. And so not only can we be he people because of what he's done, but it didn't just correct the relationship vertically to God himself. It also corrects the relationship horizontally to one another, and it allows us to be he people and we people at the same time. And when these two things are in order, when communion has happened, when we're in agreement with one another, when we've fallen in line with the kingdom of heaven, with the love of God, with the purpose of his son, Jesus, and we've devoted ourselves to one another, we've committed to do this with one another, then that's, that's when communion is having its, world, its, its way with us and it's accomplishing its work. Amen. Now, let's jump in.